I'm Cameron Silsby, and this is the Van City Church Podcast. The following teaching is part five in the series, The True and False Self, Filled with All the Fullness of God. There are countless ways a person is told they can discover their true selves, at least in the consumeristic marketplace of a 21st century progressive culture. And while what is on offer is most likely a mixed bag, the scriptures have a staggering answer to this question of who you really are. I've worked many jobs in my life. Let me uh, list them for you, and you can tell me if any stand out. Okay, here we go. Uh, Pastor, obviously. Uh, Grocery store clerk, and I've talked a lot about that one. A busboy for a catering company, and I was awesome. Hannah was my witness. I was really good at filling up those waters and getting those dishes. Uh, A bass player for a local band that once made 50 bucks. Um, yeah, you know it, you know it. Uh, volunteer youth pastor, basketball camp instructor, hair model. <laughs> to be honest, I largely forget about that last one, but I scrounged up an old photo of me as a hair model. Hey! <laughs> yeah, look at that. Oh my gosh, me in my prime. Clearly it's been downhill from there. Uh, in all seriousness, I doubt... Any photo survives of me as a hair model because I wasn't that type of hair model. I was more like the entry-level grunt of hair models. Um, I stood like a statue for around two hours at product demonstrations put on for salon owners and other industry people. I stood there demonstrating some product in my hair, and then all the salon owners would walk up to me and feel my hair and ooh, ah, at the product. Um, It was all a bit weird, Uh, but, but I was paid 50 bucks an hour, which was equal to what my band had paid me in two and a half years. (laughs) I was shamelessly in it for the money. And uh, I'll be honest, Uh, I was really bad at it. Um, I had no clue about fashion and modeling. You know that like ubiquitous modeling face with the vacant expression look kind of thing, like the... (laughs) Well, pretty early on in my career, uh, and career is a generous way to describe it, early on in this occasional side hustle, uh, the modeling director had to take me aside and said, you have got to stop smiling while you work these events. (laughs) And then he showed me, he had to show me examples of the common modeling facial expressions. I'm sure I was just up there grinning at everyone like a complete goober during these events. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, But man, 50 bucks an hour. Um, After a half dozen events, give or take, uh, I got fired from that job. Uh, Well, maybe not fired. They eventually just stopped calling me to give me work, which I guess they ghosted me. Um, I think, I think it was because I kept saying no to ideas they had about like cutting my hair, dyeing it like a peacock, and I made a slight concession on that one, and doing a runway show. Uh, I think it was obvious to everyone that I was not cut out for this work. Modeling did not fit who I was and who I wanted to be. But man, 50 bucks an hour. Um, Instead of a modeling career, I continued working at a grocery store job for much less than 50 bucks an hour. And I put yogurt on a shelf, day in and day out. I would see old high school teachers and classmates and chat with them while I filled uh, the yogurt on the shelf. 
I was embarrassed and ashamed and wanted to say, I'm more than this job. I was a hair model once. Um, I didn't, though. Um, I wanted more than just money to like pay the bills and to go on vacation. I wanted meaning and purpose and significance in the job that I worked. Putting yogurt on the shelf did not provide that. Looking back now, uh, working at a grocery store for 11 years, though, was one of the most revealing and formative roles I've ever had in my life. We are currently in a series called The True and False Self. I think tonight is uh, the fifth teaching in the series. So if you've missed any of it, it's all up on the podcast. Go and listen to it. This series is about moving from belief in God to a deep relational knowing of God. Last week, we talked about the false self or the imposter, the, the part of us that is a construct to cope with the brokenness of the world and ourselves. So the fair question to ask is, if there is a false self, how do you know your true self? Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. That's in the New Testament somewhere. You'll find it. Keep on turning. Um, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians is an ancient letter from Paul, an apprentice of Jesus, to a small church in the city of Colossae. It's a letter that we studied line by line last summer and is my personal favorite of the letters Paul wrote. It's Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christianese. Uh, the language Christians use to communicate uniquely Christian ideas is a hazard. Words that were loaded for early Christians like Paul, such as, you know, resurrection, Lord, glory, Christ, what have you, have become much tamer and muted for us, kind of domesticated. Familiarity and excessive usage with assumed understanding tends to do this to words. And this text in Colossians can be a victim of our our familiarity and assumed understanding of words and concepts. So Paul says, you know, raised with Christ, the right hand of God, you also will, will appear with him in glory. All of these phrases can sound very uh, Christian, and that's, I mean, they are, uh, and we can easily nod our collective heads because this sounds like stuff we may have heard a bunch of times if you've been around church circles for a bit. But we're going to do our best tonight to look at this text with fresh eyes, especially since this text teaches us something about a concept that Western Protestant Christians are much less familiar with, which is union with Christ. Sound good? Yeah, okay. Okay, okay. So right off the bat, reading Colossians 3, verse 1, we should be confused by what Paul is saying. He says, since you have been raised with Christ. Have you been raised with Christ? If he's referring to the resurrection, then I'd have to say for myself, no, I haven't even died yet, at least not that I'm aware of. So what is Paul actually saying here? It might help to get more of a flavor of how Paul talks. Earlier in this letter, Paul says this. 
since you died with Christ. I'm still here. I'm not dead, again, as far as I know. Um, In Ephesians, he says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Okay, well, uh, right now I'm in Vancouver, Washington, and I like the city, but I wouldn't call it the heavenly realms. Um, In Romans, Paul says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Again, I haven't experienced crucifixion as far as I know. And then his letter to Colossians, my personal favorite right here, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul is teaching all of these Christian churches he wrote to, not just the Christians in Colossae, about this concept that theologians call union with Christ. There are a lot of different ways you could define the concept, but we'll take a stab at defining it as union with Christ is the joining of our lives with Christ. We receive and participate in what is true of Jesus in his work of salvation. One of the ways the church displays this reality is through baptism, the symbolic act of joining with Jesus' death and resurrection as a person uh, goes under the water and then comes back up. So back to Colossians, Paul writes, since then you have been raised with Christ. And now we know Paul is talking, you know, about baptism, right? Well, not quite. Uh, One more thing critical to understand, uh, to understanding union with Christ is that it's not symbolic. It actually becomes the deepest, truest reality for a follower of Jesus. Your life is joined with Christ. It is intertwined with his. You are in him and he is in you. And you can experience that reality right now. The writers of the New Testament, like Paul, had a concept in their minds that theologians have coined inaugurated eschatology. And if if you want to sound smart and or pretentious, try using that in a normal conversation. It's just a fancy way of saying that God's kingdom is now and also not yet. Healing does take place, and we can see the kingdom breaking in. Reconciliation, enemy love, growing in maturity as a follower of Jesus— we can see all of that and we can say, ah, the kingdom of God, it's breaking into the here and the now. And then sometimes healing doesn't happen. Reconciliation doesn't take place. Enemies are blown up. People fully reject Jesus after spending years or decades following him. And we can say, oh, the kingdom of God is not yet here. All of this means that union with Christ is not just an identity or some abstract theology or abstract theological aspect, um, and it's not some future thing. It can be experienced and lived out here and now, even if not perfectly or completely. So, Paul writes in verses 1 and 2 of Colossians 3, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. To paraphrase Paul here, he's essentially saying, since you have union with Christ, live like it. Choose to adjust what you desire and how you think 
to be in line with your union with Christ. Live as if you really are in union with Christ because you are. So be religious, uh, you know, be a good Christian essentially. No, it's much deeper than that. Paul goes on in verse three to say, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You do this because whatever you were, whoever you were before being in union with Christ, that is dead. A little later in this letter, Paul calls that the old self. That's not who you are anymore. Who you are is now defined by your union with Christ. That is now who you are. So don't adjust your desires and thinking to be in line with Jesus, to be a good Christian boy or girl. Do it because that's now who you really are. That is in line with your true self. Paul says in verse four, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul is uh, certainly referencing when Jesus returns to establish his kingdom for good. But remember the now and not yet. We're waiting for that day, and yet we can get moments of it in the here and now. When we live in line with our union with Christ, we can get glimpses of Christ appearing. Uh, In his book, The Deeper Journey, which is for sale at cost on the book table in the back, author and professor Robert Mulholland Jr. says it like this. Paul is saying, whenever we allow Christ to truly, uh, truly to indwell us, allow the Holy Spirit to be the context and content of our life in the world, then who we truly are becomes manifest in its Christ-likeness. Paul's when points to any relationship, any situation or circumstance in our daily life. When, in that moment, we live in loving union with God, our life becomes a place where others experience the presence of God's love, mercy, and grace, touching their lives with cleansing, healing, and liberating transformation. A simple way of putting this is, when Jesus appears, so will you, your true self. If we are to know ourselves, you know, our true selves, and not our false selves or the imposters we create, we must begin with our union with Christ. This means that to know yourself, you first get to know Christ. And since Jesus was a human, he had to learn his own identity, much like we do. Uh, He didn't appear out of Mary's womb, healing people and teaching as a rabbi. It it took him decades to get to that point. And right at the beginning of Jesus's public, uh, uh, Jesus publicly living into his identity, we have uh, all four of the gospels recording their own perspective on this singular story. It's the text that Mark, or that Tim just read, Mark chapter one. It is at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. The whole scene is powerful and alludes to so many themes from the Old Testament and Roman culture. But if we could just focus on what is spoken over Jesus, this is critical for us tonight. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Because you and I have union with Christ. Uh, These words aren't spoken just to Jesus. 
the Father speaks to each one, of the, uh, each one of us these words, you are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Uh, there's your starting place for knowing yourself. You are loved by God. He is well pleased with you, that you are his son or his daughter. To know yourself isn't just to know things about yourself. It's to receive this, to experience it, and in greater degrees live as if it is true. Hold on tightly to that, though, because we aren't done yet. While you are loved by God, things aren't all fine. You and I are messed up. Uh, There's this line in the New Testament letter written by James, and he wrote, Uh, we all stumble in many ways. And if I were to write my own paraphrase of the Bible, which I doubt I ever will want to do, um, I would translate that line like this. We all suck in many ways. Uh, Which I think should be Van City's new motto. Welcome to Van City. We believe that we all suck in many ways. Um, It's in the Bible. And while, you know, yeah, I can tell silly jokes about it and we can laugh about how messed up you and I are, at the end of the day, um, it's, it's not funny. Um, it's a horror show. It's a tragedy. It's a slow motion car crash. There's pain and harm and trauma and hatred and jealousy. There's the evil we choose to do and the evil that is done to us. And then there's the evil that we choose to do because evil has been done to us. Things are messed up. We are messed up. Read the scriptures and they have many different ways of pointing this out. We all suck in many ways. And because of all this, we have a fractured relationship with the God who says, you are my son, you are my daughter who I love. The typical human response to how messed up we are can be found in the opening pages of the scriptures. Adam and Eve react to their rebellion against God and the consequences of it by covering and hiding from him. We're not much different. We can cultivate a really good uh, habit and spiritual disciplines and rhythms, and yet we can simply use it to cover up our brokenness and shame. We hide from God behind religious words like grace and forgiveness We cover up the depth of our brokenness with a practiced indifference or compartmentalization or cynicism. Off the top of your heads, um, who can recall the first words God says when Adam and Eve hide from him? What are the first words that God says? And if you guess wrong, uh, don't worry, I'll still really appreciate the effort. So where are, oh, wow, you guys know. Um, Good job. Where are you? Where are you? When you and I cover and hide, God wants to find us. Not locate us spatially, but find us. Where are you? Not this false you that you've created to hide and cover. Where are you? Because despite the fact that you are messed up and prone to hiding yourself from God, you are still his beloved. You are still his son and his daughter. And he wants to find you. Where are you? When we hold that we are beloved and acknowledge that we are also profoundly messed up, we become open to receiving from God who we are. Author David Brenner 
puts it like this. Genuine self-knowledge begins by looking at God and noticing how God is looking at us. Grounding our knowing of ourself in God's knowing of us anchors us in reality. It also anchors us in God. When in your hiding and covering, God calls out to you, where are you? When you step out before him, instead of seeing disgust or rage or rejection in God's face, you see love in his eyes. He looks at you with love. And God doesn't just have positive vibes for you. He has sacrificed through Jesus for your restoration and life with him. He has joined you with his son so that you may have new life, experience his loving gaze on you and to cleanse you from the stain of evil that this world leaves on you. He has demonstrated his love for you, not just told you about it. Robert Mulholland puts it like this, God comes to us in our false self in order to offer God's self to us to be our true life. We are God's beloved in our beauty and our brokenness. And you are also a unique expression of God's creativity and grace to the world. When you know your true self and live that out, you and Christ in you appears, and it is glorious. Glory, um, you know, another one of those Christianese words that Paul uses in Colossians 3, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Think of glory as having the characteristics of being valuable, weighty, important, of significance. It is a glorious thing when you are your true self. And it is most satisfying to be grounded with Christ and living out who God has made you specifically to be. There are layers to who our true selves are. My true self is first and foremost, the beloved of God joined with Christ in a shared life with him. From that, I'm specifically gifted and wired away in a way that reveals God's creativity and love for his creation. But along with that, there is this sin. And I don't mean sins, like the list of things you have done that you should not have done. I mean, sin in the sense of your core brokenness and your core bentness. Out of this sin flows your behaviors labeled as sins. So let me say a word about each as the beloved, our gifting and wiring, and our sin. As one of uh, God's sons who is loved, I embrace this identity by surrendering and accepting it. I reveal myself to God with honesty, without posturing, uh, without trying to earn it through the good things I do, without pushing God away, I sit as I am, surrendering to this love and accepting it as I am. And I do this again and again and again and again the rest of my life. You are gifted and wired in a way that, you know, isn't too different from others. You know, you are knowable to those around you, but then you're also, you also have this unique combination of, um, of giftings to a certain degree and development. And, and this is something that honors God. 
but I think it would be wise to caution ourselves. Um, we are in a cultural moment that is hyper-focused, uh, obsessed really with knowledge. Knowledge about oneself through personality types, the Enneagram, counseling, anthropology, and even theology. None of those things are bad at all. In fact, all can be incredibly helpful, empowering tools in your apprenticeship to Jesus. The caution doesn't come from the nature of those things, but the hunger for power that comes from the knowledge those tools provide. In our culture, we can all finish this sentence. Knowledge is power, yeah. And power can be the means by which we cover ourselves, hiding from God in a contrived self-sufficiency with pseudo-control choosing to exclusively focus on project me. Again, from Robert Mulholland, he says, we would love to know who we are at the very core of our being so we could grab our bootstraps and get to work and actualize it. It is our false self that has to have this kind of control. We can't stand the ambiguity of not knowing what God is going to make of us. Uh, that last sentence is just haunting. We can't stand the ambiguity of not knowing what God is going to make of us. Learning about your gifts and wiring isn't intended to empower your growing autonomy from God like a teenager moving out of their parents' house. Instead, learning about your gifts and, and wiring draws you closer to the God who has gifted and wired you and Christ who participates with you in these gifts and your wiring. Tools like counseling, the Enneagram, and the like uh, help us explore this interior world we have and share with Christ. We are in him and he is in us. In tandem with exploring our gifts and wiring is also the need to explore the deep-seated sin in our lives. Not with disgust and self-hatred, you are dishonoring God's love for you if you're simply feeding and growing a self-loathing by doing this. Instead, you are discovering the sin within you that motivates and, and feeds your sinful behavior, easily seen by your behaviors at a surface level, be it pride or avoidance or fearfulness or anger. And then you take this sin, the sin that is in you, into the presence of the Father who loves you. You don't hide it. You don't try to gloss over it. He knows it's already a part of your life. And you allow him to speak to you to lead you in dealing with it. Unfortunately, uh, the, the experience isn't like, you know, you discover this deep sin in you, you bring it prayerfully to the Father, then boom, sinful behaviors are mostly gone from your life. It's more like a lifelong process of bringing this sin to the Father with his power and presence in your life, allowing him to weaken and shrink it to slowly minimize its influence in your life. You do your best not to feed it, to grow it. Over a lifetime, you will discover different roots. It has laid in your motivations and how mixed your motivations have been all along. And still, the Father works lovingly beside you to root it out day by day. And as far as you succeed, and as much as you fail at doing this, you still approach the Father as his beloved son or daughter. So, we have choices to make. 
to know our true selves requires us to make different choices. And we can boil them down to three general ones, uh, surrender, acceptance, and exploration. There is a logical progression in these choices, but don't think of them as a momentary choice and then you move on to the next one. Think of them as choices made repeatedly in countless moments throughout your lifetime. You will need to make these choices again and again and often without following some sort of sequential order. The first choice we can make is lay down your false self, all of it, that you know, and then come out of hiding. Surrender. Surrender means you will have to give up control of your false, uh, the control that your false self gives you, or at least the appearance of control that it gives you. No more hiding, no more covering. This is both something you do with God and with also those around you who you trust. Confession is, you know, a loaded term, uh, especially when you are conceptualizing it as a list of naughty things that you've done. Um, in the choice of surrender, confession breathes air into the increasing suffocation that the false self traps, traps you in. It can be both terrifying and intensely relieving at the same time. Terrifying because you are vulnerable exposed, you know, at that moment, you are choosing to stop trying to control how others or God sees you. You are allowing them to see you for who you really are. But it's also relieving as you shed off the false self as best you can. You don't realize how heavy it is until it's not there. And I really wish I could say that if you just do this uh, once, you know, you risk this vulnerability, you'll never have to do it again, but that's not how it works. We are really good at finding new ways to cover and hide ourselves from God and others. And so we will have to choose to continually do this with God and those we trust in our lives. Uh, putting yogurt on a shelf for 11 years was a way I received God's love for me. You know, it was not significant, meaningful work, but I see in myself a, a tendency to, to cover myself with meaning and significant work. I am tempted to use it to hide myself from God, to make myself worthy of, of his approval and his love. I filled yogurt for 11 years, and the father said to me every single day, I love you. With you, I am well pleased. Whether I heard him or not, whether I paid attention or not, he said that. Would that be enough for me? Or would I squirm around under the loving gaze of the Father, demanding him to provide me something more meaningful, something more significant? Hair modeling? Being a pastor, going to seminary. For 11 years, I worked at a grocery store and began to experience the significance of God's love for someone like me, broken and flawed and not doing something I considered meaningful. I could not hide behind that. And I am a better off person all around because of it. I had to surrender to God's love without posturing or feeling as if I had made myself worthy of it to some degree. With choosing to surrender to God, you must choose to accept yourself as you are. Not who you wish you were, 
not who you are planning on being, not who you worked really hard to be, but as you are. Again, no hiding and covering. We accept who we are, gifts, wiring, brokenness, and sin, all of it. Not because you'll never change, but because to grow and mature, you must deal with yourself as you are. We can trick ourselves into thinking we've done this. Um, You can know you've tricked yourself if your acceptance justifies your brokenness and sin. You know, I'm just this way, or this isn't a big deal because God is patient with me. That's simply using Christian words and concepts to continue to cover yourself and hide. Acceptance of who we are leads to humility. It is painful to admit your sin and brokenness. It can also be awe-inspiring to admit your giftedness and wiring that you did not earn. You not only accept yourself, you accept the Father's love for the you that you have accepted. Accept the words, this is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You accept this love, allowing it to sit in your mind as more than simply belief, but in a way that flavors your entire life. How you talk, live, work, play. How you navigate the evil in you and in this world. You are the beloved of God. And you choose to explore. You explore your gifting, wiring, and sin, not only to discover it, but to see it from different angles throughout your entire lifetime. To allow God to continue to to reveal more of your true self and to peel away your false self, your sin that has kind of marred your life. You explore your vocation, Um, not a job title per se, but how you are gifted and wired to uniquely partner with God in the snapshots and moments of his inbreaking kingdom in this world. Maybe that involves a job title and career, but maybe not. And you explore God. You aren't hiding from him or trying to posture to cover yourself. You are open and you can seek him and experience him in ways you were unable to before. You get to know him and his specific love for you. You see Christ in you and you in Christ, not erasing your personality, but revealing more and more who you are and it is glorious. Exploration isn't just for those fresh out of high school or in their 20s. We do a disservice to this choice if that's how we think of it. It is true that those times in life can, uh, can be intense and filled with anxiety as you explore who you are in the world around you. It's important stuff, you know, asking significant and deep questions that we all go through and wrestle with in our own ways. But... You know, I'm still learning about myself. Um, I've never been 34 years old. Before this year, I was 33 last year. Um, You know, with all my gifts and wiring and the way I've been shaped in life, I still get to learn about myself. You know, I'm probably less surprised by what I learn about myself than I was in my 20s. In this season, I'm, I'm probably a bit more disappointed about what I learn instead as, you know, I come to terms with my own limitations. But honestly, that's okay with me. Um, it's part of me laying down my idealism. 
whatever age you are, whatever you're going through in this season, what does your gifting and wiring look like today at age 78 or at age 60 or 28 or 19? What does it look like? Check it out, and I'd love to hear. But what I'm confident about is that as you and I do so, whatever our age and seasons of life we are in, there we will find that we are still the Father's beloved, and still Christ is in us, and we are in Him. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to Van City. You can connect with us and find more teachings and available resources at www.vancity.church. You can support Vancity financially at vancity.church/give.